Welcome to the Fury Theory Podcast, brought to you by EFB Advocacy. EFB means excellent for business. I'm joined by my two colleagues, Adam Belmar, the B, John Easton, the E, and I'm the F, John Fury. And we are here. This is our one-year anniversary of our first podcast. And I can't, I tell you what, there's two guys, these two guys, the best two guys to do the podcast with because they know what they're talking about and they're always entertaining and they're excellent for business. Uh, John Easton, <laughs> uh, who has been your favorite guest so far on the EFB podcast or Fury of Theory podcast brought to you by EFB? Wow. That's uh, it's a surprise question. That's a surprise question. It's kind right. of a pop quiz, right. pop quiz. Really, in a way. And I can't – I really – it's hard for me to narrow it down to one. Although, of course, toe for Cushman. Come on. I mean, talking about the Redskins on, the, on this podcast was a lot of fun. Love the congressman that right. we had. Uh, and um, I just like all guests, honestly, that, that we have on. I think that our guests have been great. I think they've added a lot to it, and we're going to have a guest next week, uh, Congressman Tom Rooney, so make sure to, to watch the show. It's going to be fantastic. Uh, I like the fact that when we had this the faux podcast with Paul Kane and Carl Hulse, they came in and we did kind of a special edition. Um, that was a lot of fun. Adam Belmar, who was your favorite guest thus far? Um, I can say without equivocation that my favorite guest to date has been Gail Osterberg of the Library of Congress. Right. She is funny. She is warm. She was full of so much information. Uh, it was really at the beginning of our podcast, and we were still getting our sea legs. But she was terrific. I hope we get her back. I hope we get her back as well. All you know, all the guests. I liked mm-hmm. them all. I like Garrett Grays, who was our first congressman. Rodney Davis, Jeff Denham, Ram Upalori, who is not a congressman but actually ran for Congress once. Ram uh, was great, and Ron, Meg Meg Hauk. Meg Hauk. Meg Hauk. Meg Hauk was fantastic. So if you want to be a guest on the Fury Theory podcast, I have had one uh, Terry Heffernan, who's a uh, a friend of ours. Mm-hmm. Uh, is a comedian, but also uh, has is another job. Really? It's a guy. It's a guy. Is oh. he? Is he really? <laughs> he is really <laughs> comedian. That up. He's going to come on in a couple weeks. He's already kind of uh, committed, so it's going to be a lot of fun. The, the, the guests just keep on coming, and we have so much fun here on the EFP podcast. You know what? This goes to my first theory. Tired of winning. I know that I'm not tired of winning so far with the Fear Theory podcast brought to you by EFB. And Adam Belmar... President Trump has had lots and lots of victories himself. Are you tired of President Trump winning? I am not tired of winning yet. I've still got room for more. (laughs) And I'd like to fill up on as much winning as we possibly can before November. But I am proud uh, of late that the president's good intentions are translating to action. And I think that's really what he wants more than anything else as a deal maker, not just as a president. He's trying to find common ground. He's constantly probing What's possible? And even though his instincts have been off a little bit and he's had to be tamed and sort of reeled back in by folks like Speaker Ryan and Leader McConnell, he's getting his sea legs and he's getting action. And I'm glad to see him uh, do that. For so all you're, of us. you're not tired of him winning. Let's, let's go through the list here. The economy is booming. Peace is breaking out in Korea. The Mueller case seems to be falling apart. Republicans got 100,000 more votes in the uh, Ohio uh, state election, which is really, really pretty impressive. And Don Blankenship lost in West Virginia, a huge victory for the president and uh, Senator McConnell. Uh, John Easton, are you tired of the president winning it? Exhausted. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm absolutely exhausted. Uh, no, I, I think that all that would, that list was a, a very positive, a very uh, bullish Trump list. I would say that I would agree with. So a, a decent part of it. I, I would say it's uh, it's a it's it's very bullish. I, I think that 
the economy is is it. And we've talked about this on this show. Oh, yeah. um, we've talked about the economy, and and I know the three of us agree, and many of, of you agree as well that as the economy goes, these elections go, and the economy is is doing well. I I still you know I'm keeping my eye on wage growth, and it was flat last month. Yes, it was, and which is good for inflation. Yeah. Actually, what needs to happen with wage growth, we all know that inflation is going to tick up a little bit as, as the global economy is, is, is hot and the, and the U.S. economy is hot. But wage growth needs to tick up to keep, to keep pace or else what's going to happen is it's diminished wages you know, because of inflation. So I, I look at that and I, I just feel like this, this, the, the tax cuts and the, the growth in, in our economy and the global economy is really going to lift boats. But we just got to see wages go up. So a little of this was tongue-in-cheek. I mean, the president has been losing a lot, too. Um, you know, the, the White House is still kind of a chaotic mess. He's been winning louder. He's been winning louder. And, but the, you know, and he also, Adam, you know, I, I was at the uh, White House Correspondents' Dinner, and I thought that was a winning night for him because he was not there. Um, and the press still largely hates this guy. And I thought that the comedian that uh, was part of it was sometimes funny, mostly profane, but she offended everybody. Um, you know, the president still has some downsides, right? I mean, you know, I, I'd like to focus on the winning, but it's not just the winning. Well, the distraction that so often has plagued this presidency has been investigations around Russia and the attack politics that the president sometimes employs. And that has been the more quiet, depending on which television channel you listen to, of the, of the losing recently. But uh, the revelations, both with the Mueller investigation and with the Stormy Daniels and recently understanding more about what his personal attorney, Michael Cohen, did to represent or fleece American companies, we don't know. Um, there is a lot to understand here. And now there may be a Russia connection. At one point this week, I think the press, John, thought that they had found the smoking gun. And to say that they were salivating. How many times? How many times have they talked about? The smoking gun. We've seen a lot of smoking guns with this president, and they seem, you, to be, they seem to be smoking. I mean, they keep smoking. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody's smoking something. Somebody is. Smoking. I, I think that's right. I think you, you just get tired of of this like bombshell and breaking news, and and then the next day it kind of peters out. But I yeah. I, I think what it gives you this this the the Mueller investigation, the special counsel, gives you a little bit of insight into Trump world really pre-presidency, but also that has followed into his presidency, which is this, this knee-jerk um, uh, instinct for hiring, right? Like, like Ronnie Jackson. We, we, we covered that last week, and that just was not well vetted. We know that. Now it's, it's Rudy Giuliani leading his personal legal team. I, I think that was a terrible decision. And, and then he and Giuliani and the president uh, – conjure up this strategy together, I think. I don't think anybody was really involved with that but those two. And Giuliani goes out half-cocked on on the national TV uh, with a legal strategy uh, talking about the payment, the Michael Cohen payment. The whole thing was just really, really off-kilter. And I I think what has happened, if if Donald Trump can get this together somehow and realize that in the political sphere – this stuff, this way, does not fly. In fact, it gets you into more trouble than you can really handle. Uh, well, I mean, let's ask. I mean, his approval ratings are going up. They're inching up ever so slightly, but they're inching up, and which is amazing, given ninety percent of the press stories about him are extremely mm-hmm. negative. So this guy's approval ratings are going up despite a onslaught and a lot of these allegations. I mean, Michael Cohen. I mean, to your point. 
one of the president's downfalls is kind of the knuckleheads he surrounds himself yep. with. And Michael Absolutely. Cohen's a perfect example of that, right, Adam? Well, certainly Michael Cohen is uh, causing a great deal of angst. And if the president thought he had a fixer in Cohen, <laughs> what he's got is the anti-fixer. I mean, he's, he's definitely uh, left a trail of mess uh, from the election, perhaps before, all the way until now. But one of the things I like about what uh, John Eason just said, uh, and we talked about this a lot, a lot over this last year, is this illusion to reality TV. Make no mistake, Donald Trump is one of the greatest TV programmers of all mm -hmm. time. You can say he's a great president. You can say he's a horrible president. The guy knows how to sell something. He knows how to sell himself. Last night was the perfect Even example. at 3 o'clock in the morning. Well, he, he quipped to the reporters yeah. there that they might just have broken the world record for ratings at 3 in the morning. <laughs> but he wasn't kidding. Yeah. I mean, he has a flair for the dramatic. And when you talk about perhaps a, a mistake in casting Rudy Giuliani in this leading role, this walk-on role in the middle of the season, he's made for television. He comes with a built-in audience. He's well-known to the Fox family of which apparently Kimberly Guilfoyle is now an adjunct member. Don't know if you saw this. Today. Oh, is this new news? Well, apparently, and, and I'm Mazel Tov, uh, Don Jr., who's in the middle of a divorce, as we know, has uh, got a relationship going with uh, Kimberly. No kidding. Yeah, it's true. Uh, you heard it here first. Talk about winning. Huh? That's, that's some winning. But, but here's what, real quick on, on, the, on the personnel side, because I really do think it affects the presidency a great deal. I mean, the cabinet level hires and certainly your personal attorney. Uh, who is out there on the TV circuit. But just as he's made a couple of very questionable and damaging selections uh, in his you know, higher circle of, of hires, he's also done uh, some very, made some very impressive hires, such as um, Mike Pompeo. I mean, I think already, I mean, he's just proven himself to be the kind of caliber of cabinet member that you would expect. I think his selection of Gina Haspel, the deputy director of the CIA, nominated to be director of the CIA, is is is. Perfect. I think is is right on the money and and just a quality quality nomination. Not somebody who everybody is raising their eyebrows, going, "What? Where did this person come from?" Although McCain came out against, I agree. Her. She's yeah. going to get confirmed. I, I hope so. I hope she gets confirmed because you know we need someone like her running the CIA, I and agree. I think it's important for uh, the president to get that victory. Yep. Uh, Adam, let's turn real quickly. Winning the president meeting uh, Rocket Man in Singapore. Uh, is is he going to win in Singapore? Um, my my feeling about this uh, is that uh, we all need to to pay attention to the president's admonition of let's wait and see how it turns out. the The design of this summit in Singapore is good location. The timing is good. The uh, run up has been strong. What people are wondering is did Donald Trump crack the code on Kim Jong Un? Or perhaps did Kim Jong-un crack the code on Donald Trump? There may be a little bit of both going on here, but... Uh, Maybe they cracked each other's code, I huh? think they did. That sounds weird. But <laughs> I, 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 I also really believe that the president's got some mo, some momentum, and I, I want to give him the benefit of the doubt with a new national security advisor, with a, a great national security team around him, Pompeo at state. They have a chance to make real progress. I don't want to sort of predict or yeah. a win or, or humor any of these people saying, you know, uh, Nobel Peace Prize. One step at a time. But you know what? These are steps we haven't been able to take at all. All good credit to the president for pushing us down a good path. John, you want to get in on this? I, I'll just say that he's just very unconventional uh, in the way he's handling it. And it's it's paying 
dividends to get this far. And I'm sure a lot of people, you've heard them, they're very skeptical. Oh, you know, I can't believe they're giving Kim Jong-un the the stage with the president of the United States. It's just we've heard that for so many years now. Let him let him go ahead and try it. How about trying something new? Right. You know, the other thing that's interesting to me, there was a uh, story today about how the South Korean leader gave Un, Kim Jong-un a USB that had a drive yeah, I've of read that. all kinds of plans on what they could do together to revitalize the North mm-hmm. Korean economy should, uh, should this – Thing go forward and they denuclearize. And I tell you, um, if this works, it'll be a huge deal. And I think the president deserves some credit for that. Uh, theory two, Pelosi's promise. Speaker, not speaker, former speaker and perhaps future speaker, although I'm a little bit skeptical, Nancy Pelosi promised that if she were to win again the majority in the Congress, that one of the first things she would do is raise your taxes. Um, John Easton, is that good politics? <laughs> well, first, let's just go to Nancy Pelosi's predictions. Uh, this is something we hear almost every election cycle. Right. In 2014, I remember vividly, it just, and, and I went and looked it up uh, earlier today, and she said she was very certain that they were going to pick up the 17 seats necessary to take over the House and make her speaker again. That's when everybody was was pretty confident that Republicans were going to retain the majority, but she went out and said it anyway. And in 2016, she said, of course, Hillary Clinton's going to win the presidency. I mean, there was absolutely no um, – of course, yeah, there everybody no thought doubt, that. There was There's no, no doubt. And then and she said, further, the, Senate, the uh, Democrats would take over the Senate as well. So it was going to be a Democratic presidency. It was going to be a Democratic uh, Senate. And so neither happened. So now we come to this cycle. Of course, she's saying, I'm taking the, the, the gavel back. Uh, this this time, you know, she's got a little bit more uh, data behind her to back that up. But I wouldn't take anything she says as uh, as word. And But that's their job, right? That's, Schum- that's Chuck Schumer's job. That's her job. That's McConnell's job. Their job is to – but the promise I thought was interesting, Adam Belmar, she promised to raise taxes. She promised to scrap, repeal the tax of breaks of Donald Trump and replace it. Um, and I'm fascinated by this because, you I mean, she might have be onto something because that those tax cuts still aren't nearly as popular as they should be. On the other hand – People kind of expect Nancy Pelosi to raise taxes, and they don't want their taxes raised. Oh, Nancy Pelosi, in my opinion, uh, thank you for the gift. Uh, It's Mother's Day. There was no reason for you to give it to me or the rest of us, but you did. You're not a mother. the generous soul that you are. I think Republicans need exactly this, a really good, clear, resonant call to arms by Democrats about what you can find with a blue wave crashing in D.C. in November. And you know what? It's going to suck. It's gonna, <laughs> your taxes are going to go up. Your speaker's going to change. And everything about why you put this president in the White House is going to be compromised. So if that's not a call to arms for Republicans, I don't know what siren song Pelosi can sing that will bring us to the polls better than that. And maybe, uh, John Easton, that's why Republicans did so much better in Ohio than people thought. But probing a little bit more into the tax cut debate um, – we worked a lot on the tax cuts, and I, I still think that was the right economic policy. Yep. But cutting corporate rates still is not that popular. Um, so this is still the battle line for the for the for this election, don't you think? Yeah, and and I think that sure, it's it's very good politics and good campaign strategy to go ahead and highlight that the the uh, potential future speaker of the House wants to 
basically rescind the tax bill and raise taxes. But I think in terms of the general tax debate, both on the individual side and the corporate side, I mean, the best thing that Republican candidates can do is go out and highlight, go go to a local corporation that's going to benefit from right. the, from the corporate tax cuts and talk to individuals, make sure they're out there on their on their campaign ads. Uh, highlighted in every which way. You got to keep this thing local. Use the tax issue, but don't do it in a national sense. You got to do it, you know, as as ground level, as granular as you can. And Belmar, uh, we worked on this quite a bit, um, and I think that it's still working. Although most of the individual tax cuts don't really go into effect till next year. One thing I want to point out: Republicans are having an internal debate right now as to whether. They should vote uh, to make the individual tax cuts permanent. Uh, and the House is in one place and the Senate is in another place. The House kind of wants to do it. Mitch McConnell doesn't really want to give Senate Democrats who voted against that tax, that tax cut the first time a chance to vote for it. Uh, what, are your, what are your thoughts on that? Well, I think the calculus that uh, the Senate majority leader is dealing with is, is delicate and he's right. Um, it's a political season. And you need to be very careful. Um, as far as the 10-year window, which is the way that uh, the uh, eggheads gauge the impact of the tax cuts and uh, future inflows to the Treasury, it's trite to say that time will tell, but we do need to come up with some actual historical data over the next year or two. Um, and I think that it is good to put permanent rate cuts in place for surety's sake. We did that with the corporate mm-hmm. rate. Anything less would have probably not brought the intended result, which I do believe we are seeing and will continue to see. But I'm, I'm willing to cede the political question to the majority leader. He knows what votes need to be taken and what votes not, and that majority is almost more important than whether we resolve that question this year. And John Easton, uh, thinking about this, you need usually only need 51 votes if it's a reconciliation bill, mm-hmm. um, but they would need 60 votes because yeah. they're not going to do reconciliation. Do you think there's any chance that the Senate would work, work on this at all? I think that's part of uh, Majority Leader McConnell's calculus on this is he needs 60. Does he put something like this on the floor knowing that it is almost certainly going down. Right. And you'll, then you'll have a, a real discrepancy between the House and the Senate. That's valuable Senate floor time. I think that's that's a big part of this. And and I think it's very legit. Like you said, John, I mean, just giving some of these Democrats a second bite at the apple um, where they voted no, and maybe they're kind of licking their wounds on that right now, and they want another chance. I mean, you, we all know Mitch McConnell is a serious political tactician. I'm not sure he's going to let that one fly. And think about this. What would Joe Manchin want in West Virginia, a Democratic senator? He'd want another ch- ch- chance to vote to make the individual rate permanent. And the reason why he would want that is because he voted against the corporate rate. Now he could say, listen, I was always for the individual rate, and now I can prove it with my vote. So and you think about Claire McCaskill. You know Claire McCaskill would use this to her advantage. Mm-hmm. You know that Heidi Heitkamp would. So you're not going to get to 60, uh, and yet you give these guys plenty of room and then if the House passes it, it even puts even more pressure on McConnell. So I think McConnell's right. I, I think we should do this if we're going to do it, do it next year. Uh, and I think there's some downside if you do it right before this election. Um, theory three, I run, therefore I ran. <laughs> uh, President Trump fulfilled another campaign promise by pulling out of President Obama's agreement, and it's not a treaty, agreement uh, with the Iranian regime 
that the Iranians would get rid of their nuclear stockpile in exchange for lots of money from which they can fund Hezbollah terrorists. Uh, the president said, we're not going to do this anymore, and uh, pulled out of the agreement and agreed to put sanctions on the Iranian regime. Uh, Adam Belmar, you've been on uh, I-24 and other t- television sto- uh, stations talking about this Iranian agreement and the idea of, of the Americans pulling out of it. Um, how does this play? Well, the question of how it plays is a lot different than the propriety of having done it in the first place. Um, and you didn't ask me about that, so I won't go into no, it. No, go, please, go for it. On the first part, I would just say that uh, you made an excellent point. This was not a treaty. It wasn't ratified by the United States Senate. It was something that was truly rushed into in a very single-minded way. I don't want to uh, you know, cut the knees out from underneath our former president and what they were trying to do. Uh, stemming the tide of a growing nuclear threat from Iran that now includes ballistic missiles. Absolutely critical. There's no doubt that there's no change in our policy on wanting to stop that. But they came up incredibly short. They really punted down the road the question of not if, but when the the Iranians would be able to get back on their nuclear horse and ride again. Um, So where does it go from here now that we've pulled out? I think that it can indeed, John, uh, play into the hands of Donald Trump and the American delegation going to Singapore. I don't think it says at all that you can't trust the word of the American government when it comes to arms agreements. What it says is, if we find evidence of noncompliance, if we find evidence that uh, this deal isn't working and it's, it's not stopping what it was meant to stop, we're going to pull out, we're going to do a new deal, and right now we're going to make a deal that will hold up and pass mustard with, uh, with, with the North Koreans. I think it plays very well in the short term. Really what comes out of Singapore is what's going to be the tail of the tape. So, John Easton, uh, do you agree with what Adam's saying? Do you think that this strengthens the president's hand in Singapore, or does it weaken his hand? Yeah, I'm not sure. I mean, I, I really there, – there's such different uh, – scenarios here in terms of foreign policy and foreign policy objectives that I'm not sure one has uh, an effect on it. it. I'm sure it has an effect, but I would say it probably is is strengthens more than weakens Trump's hand. But if you, if you look at sort of at the, at the, on the home front, what I find really interesting is I actually think that, that America, he, Donald Trump has a lot of latitude with Americans on this. Yeah. I, I, I do. One, I think that a lot of most Americans don't know the minutia of of the Iranian deal in the first place, and two, Americans don't trust Iran Iran's leaders uh, now, and really, I don't think they ever have. Certainly since the hostage crisis um, back in the seventies, and 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 so I think going into this, I think one thing that Americans are impressed with is that he's just not going to follow the global status quo that they're really used to, which is a lot of talk, a lot of talk, and not much changes. So when the President Obama signed this agreement with the Iranian regime— Right, which was not unilateral. It was a multilateral A multilateral with the French and the Germans Germans. and a bunch of the Europeans. And the Chinese Chinese and the Russians. And they all got in because they all wanted to get some trade in, especially in Europe. They wanted plenty of trade. Thank you for saying that. This yeah. is a huge. It's all business. about it's yeah. all about business for the. Well, not the all Europeans, about, but, but mostly yeah. about. Yeah. Um, and I've always thought that to be the case. But when uh, President Obama signed this agreement, multilateral agreement, Chuck Schumer was against it. Robert Menendez was against it. Almost every Jewish Democrat in uh, the Congress was against it. And all of a sudden, they're saying now that Donald Trump pulls out of an agreement that they opposed, how dare you pull out of this? I mean, this, what's up with these guys? 
there's a great deal of uh, insincerity going on, um, and we see it all the time. And you know what? No one's prone from it. Republicans, Democrats, we're all the same cats, okay? Um, people are involved. I don't know. That's my hypocrisy is better than their hypocrisy. <laughs> right. But I guess the point that I'm trying to make is that I've seen these arguments made effectively on both sides and in different situations. And it's because of that experience that leads me to know that uh, deep down underneath this rhetoric, uh, there are some principled stands that will ultimately come to fruition with a vote. They're going to posture and they're going to posture and they're going to name call. But when the time comes, I think there is a recognition that we can get a lot more with Iran than we got. And like the North Koreans, we can also begin to see some of our hostages come home. I mean, we left so many things outside the scope of that deal. And the president's coup of just getting some people home, that feels great. I'm not saying it's the whole deal, but on the optics of moving forward on the world stage, the president has got his stuff together. Yeah, and and I'd say – Diplomatically, let's just take a step back to last October when when the president said, hey, I don't like this deal. Well, he talked about on the campaign how he didn't like this deal. But on October, he said, I'm really thinking about pulling out of the Iran deal. And that was a while ago. And so the these our allies in Europe in particular, France, UK, Germany, uh, really had the ability to work closely with us to try to address some of the glaring weaknesses of the Iran deal. And there just, from what I understand, there just wasn't much at all. And now he's announced that we're pulling out, and they are apoplectic. And, the, of course, the Obama team is completely yeah. coming on him. Well, John Kerry, to start out, well, I mean, right, he's, he, he might have some problems with the Logan Act. A um, couple of points. I read a really fascinating uh, article in the fake news New York Times. Just kidding. I like the New York Times. I get a lot of news from there. I'm not, I'm not calling it fake news. But it was about the impact on the Iranian regime, which I thought no, wasn't really picked up anywhere else. Trump pulling out of this is actually bad for the hardliners in Iran, bad for some of the moderates too. But the, the fact is that the Iranian regime itself has not given any economic success to their own people. And yeah. there are people in Iran who are sick and tired of the mullahs sick and tired of the religious police and just want to have a decent life and what what the what this agreement did was gave the mullahs some chance to loosen up the uh, the economic ties and gave them strengthen them and this is actually a strategically it is actually a brilliant way to put more pressure on the Iranian regime. Yeah, I, I, I completely agree with that. Um, you know, take just a look at the way that President Trump decided to brand his tax reform last year. It was the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act. And you know what? I need a taste. The people of Iran didn't get a taste of the good fortune that came from the relief of sanctions. The, the, the people of Iran didn't see any meaningful change or uptick in their economic well-being as a result of uh, you know, moving back from the nuclear weapons brink. And now that they're back behind the eight ball, it's going to get worse. And that's nothing but sliding backwards from their perspective. And I bet it does put a lot of those hardliners in, uh, in trouble. Uh, John Easton, do you think that this is going to increase the chances of a – we've already seen some ramifications. Uh, Iranian uh, forces are th- firing some rockets into mm-hmm. southern Israel or northern Israel um, uh, and the Golan Heights. Uh, is this going to increase the chances for uh, a real kind of dramatic war or is this just kind of some tension that comes inevitably from you know a very, very tough area? 
It could, but I'll tell you what. I mean, you just you don't mess with the Israelis. I mean, they just uh, they when they go in, they go in hard, and they go in uh, with a lot of power. And but once again, I mean, just what you, to your question. I mean, think of what that says. Iran is in Syria. I mean, they are their presence in Syria has only increased right. since the this deal that that President Obama signed. They are also still supporting Hezbollah. They are also still supporting Hamas and, of course, Assad. And as we knew from Israeli intelligence, they've been cheating on on the the nuclear parameters on this deal. So I just, again, I I think that's one of the reasons why Americans are are very apprehensive about trusting this pact, if that's what you want to call it. So, Adam, the last point on this, uh, the president pulls out of Paris, the climate treaty, pulls out of uh, Iran, the Iranian agreement. Yeah. Um, you know, the fact is, is that he plowed much different ground in North Korea. Um, you know, if you look at, for example, in Burma, um, the uh, the Obama administration was very pro Ang Young Sun Ki. Well, I can't never say her name right. But the, the Burmese leader – but there is this massacre happening in uh, the Rohingya region yeah. where people are being slaughtered. The president has been much – President Trump has been much harsher on that regime than the Obama administration. I mean this idea that the, the Trump administration is somehow out of step and – but what they're really doing is telling the what people what the Obama administration did on a consistent basis was wrong and he's going to change it. Is that, is that right? I think that's a fair characteristic and a, a characterization, and I think that on that imp- that that issue in particular, um, we've probably been uh, a little slower to react, maybe than we might have been, or to be more forceful in policy around that because of the tumult at state. Um, but I think under the the direction of uh, the the new Secretary of State, the President's attention to it, and a very sympathetic group of statesmen in the United States Senate and women who care deeply about our reputation in the world and what it is to respect human rights and stop devastating crimes against humanity. We have to play that role. I see a brighter answer to that question going forward, but you know, it, it's going on in the background, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. I think, I, But I think the Trump administration actually stepped up in places that the Obama administration wouldn't step up, and I think that's a good thing, uh, especially in, in Myanmar, uh, Burma. But John Easton, looking at the president, he's basically telling the the Obama team, "Go take a hike." Uh, there's no question about that, and undoing a lot of of what they did over the course of eight years, and uh, which over eight years, you know, because you've worked in an, in an administration, there's a lot. That's a long time to get some things done. I mean, it goes by probably like that. But I do think that what what occurs to me that uh, not many presidents are willing to do is to really challenge the European status quo, sort of that, 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 uh, that European bureaucracy and the global um, bureaucracy that is sort of like has a single-mindedness, really. And it's kind of a go-along, get-along, and really some self-preservation of, of, of where, you know, of the European leaders and Merkel. And it's, it's a little bit of a lazy and at times do-nothing attitude to sort of kind of try to keep things you know, uh, the way they are and, and don't upset the apple cart. And I think what President Trump is doing coming in and certainly with his team and they're a very aggressive team, they just, they're just he's not putting up with it. Right. He, he's just going to say, you know what? We haven't gotten any results. 
in years. So let's go in and break some China. And I, I'm actually one that supports that. Yeah, and I think, you know, when the president and the French and the English went in and uh, did that kind of punitive action against the Syrians, and once again the Germans sat out, I mean, this is the thing, is that the president's finding allies where he can and doing stuff that he needs to do, and I, I think more power to him. Um, Adam Belmar, what are you buying or selling today? <laughs> well, I'm selling my car, John. <laughs> <laughs> we laugh, but we, we cry. We, we cry. We, I'm we, almost wishing I had, had the wide shot for that laugh. <laughs> there it is. Um, my car got broken into again this week. Uh, How many times has that been? It's been twice. Where it's are you tr- parking it? I park it right out, right, right back behind EFB. Oh, EFB is uh, in a dangerous neighborhood. We're not where, in where, a dangerous <laughs> neighborhood, but th- it is a place where, unfortunately, uh, there are uh, car break-ins, and sometimes there's no rhyme or reason. There was nothing in my car to steal uh, in the first place. But uh, I, one thing I will say is about public transportation. We've talked about this here. Uh, it's going through a rough go here in Washington, D.C., after disrepair for many years. But this is a neighborhood where you don't need a car. This is a neighborhood in a city where you can get around using public transportation and Uber and other things. And I'm going to try that for a while because, uh, you know, not having a parking space and paying all that money for a car uh, is just too much. So that's what I'm selling this week. How, 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 much, how, me. how much are you asking? <laughs> Couple thousand, five thousand. You know, at this point, it's it's a lease. I'm really just turning it back. <laughs> I was calling it a self. That couple, sounded couple good, though. Uh, Johnny, so what are you buying or selling today? I'm selling both. I know you're shocked. Right. I'm selling. I mean, I mean, I'm buying and I'm selling. Uh, let me buy Monica Lewinsky and her tweet. Oh, that was uh, awesome. And and for those of you who are have not seen this yet, and I'm, I'm certainly not saying all of you have. She was, well, let me just read her tweet. Please don't invite me to an event, especially one about social change. And then after I've accepted, uninvite me because Bill Clinton then decided to attend or was invited. It's 2018. Emily Post would definitely not approve. And then she did a emoji piece, me. I just, from what I have seen from Monica Lewinsky over the last really five, six, seven years, is a woman with a lot of class who has handled uh, a really, really, really rough treatment over those um, years with Bill Clinton and the whole scandal. She's just handled it, you know, wonderfully. She has kind of risen up from the ashes and made something of herself, uh, I think, just in public. And she, she does it very well. Here's what I am going to sell. I'm going to sell uh, Town & Country, who were the ones who invited her. Oh. They, uh, this is uh, really the worst of the worst in terms of not just etiquette, but just um, how you treat somebody and how you treat somebody who... Bad business. Bad business. That's not excellent for business. (laughs) Uh, This comes as no surprise to my colleagues. I am selling the intentional walk rule, especially in Little League. Get a load of this. It's bad enough (laughs) when they intentionally walk Bryce Harper. I think it's... Bad form, but that's baseball. These guys are getting paid a lot of money. I get it. That's fine. But I don't think the I don't think the fans are going to watch Bryce Harper get intentionally walked, and I think it's a crappy tactic. It's especially bad when a little leaguer gets the intentional walk twice. Happened to my son. He's twelve. <laughs> I think it's outrageous. No intentional walks for little league. I think coaches who do it should really think twice about what they're doing. Like, um, did you win the game? Did you lose the game? We won the game. And we by won. how much? We won the game by about three runs. 
Okay. Congratulations. So we won, yeah. But you know what? I still think it's not about the wins and losses. What it's about is, you know, trying to let the kids learn and play. They don't learn a whole lot with the intentional walk. I just think um, I'm against it. Anyway, uh, guys, thank you once again. One-year anniversary of the Fury Theory podcast brought to you by EFB. It's been a lot of fun. We'll have at least, at least one more year, maybe uh, a five-year contract. We're, we're <laughs> negotiating that with ourselves. Uh, just kidding. We're going to keep this going. Next week we're going to have uh, Congressman Tom Rooney. Week after that, Terry Heffernan. And we're going to have a, a special guest after that that we have not named yet because we don't know. Um, but but th- they'll be special. <laughs> they'll be special. Let's just wait and All see All our guests out. are special. They are. Uh, but thank you for joining the podcast. Uh, EFB means? Excellent for business. Yeah, baby. All right. Yeah, baby.